We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. That was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard, and you're listening to Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between the outdoors, action sports and activism. In each show, I've been meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to create change. We've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the change they're seeking to create, the difficulties involved and the rewards that follow. My name is Matt Barr. I also present the Looking Sideways podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm recording this outside. You might be able to tell from the beautiful birdsong accompaniment. I'm in Normandy. It's September 22. Beautiful late summer day. So I thought I'd uh, come and do this intro al fresco. All right, this week's guest is Soraya Abdul-Hadi, a writer, artist and activist from Hampshire, who's the founder of All the Elements, which she describes as a community working to increase diversity in the outdoors. I first met Soraya at the Kendall Mountain Festival in November 21 through our mutual friend Phil Young. And we've stayed in touch and I've been following her work ever since. Um, I think there's a lot in common with all the elements and looking sideways and type two, to be honest. Really, it's about sharing knowledge and ideas, pooling resources in the hope that the community as a whole will benefit. And this type of approach is particularly important when it comes to the conversation around diversity and equality, particularly in the outdoor space. Over the last couple of years, groups such as all the elements have been quietly helping to shape this conversation in ever more positive and powerful ways. And you can also say the same about Soraya herself, her story underlines just how important it is to listen to your gut and take that first step. The importance of forward movement as a means of navigating life is a perennial topic of conversation on Type 2 and Looking Sideways. Probably the first entry on the bingo card, to be honest. Hell, it's what Yvonne's words at the beginning of the show are all about. And Soraya's story underlines the significance of this. After all, as you're going to hear, there was no master plan in place, just a desire to explore the issues she's passionate about take some positive action and follow the path where it leads and the results today speak for themselves. I'm a big fan as, of Soraya and her work um, as you're probably going to be able to tell from this conversation and I'm really intrigued to see where she takes things next especially following her participation in the opening up the outdoors incubator program which we discuss during our conversation. Anyway hope you enjoy this chat I'll be back at the end but in the meantime here's me and Soraya enjoy. <music> Obviously, you see the real podcasters with the studios and the tables and the mic setups and all that. And that's the dream, you know. But then we couldn't do it like this. Like, I couldn't have come to your house and met you in Alton. And uh, you know what I mean, though? Like, there's a bit of flexibility with it. So it's kind of... I mean, you did travel, though, with your car. And so I would suggest that you could have put mic stands in that. And I actually do own mic stands as well. (laughs) I actually own proper mic stands freestanding we could have done it you know and and to be to be honest as well i've got a i've even got a little iphone stand that we could have filmed it but i didn't do it so you'll have to hold it is that all right you're gonna cope that's okay i feel a little bit like a pop star so it's fine yeah well you know yeah <laughs> so how are you anyway we finally we finally after a lot of chat we, we we were in the same room holding two microphones um yeah how you doing 
good yeah really good nice to take um take some time to have a chat really uh that's my favorite thing is actually talking to people yeah and i spend a lot of time doing things that is not talking to people <laughs> i spend a lot of time in this room i spend a lot of time in this room in the office doing emails and actually recently somebody said to me um i'm doing i'm involved in a um a film project which is really exciting and it was also an interview actually about activism work um with this amazing artist called Bryony and they asked me to send pictures of me doing all the elements work and you were like well it's going to be office based <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was a bit like I don't have any because most of it is either on my laptop or on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's the type of pictures you're looking for. <laughs> I mean, this is a, it's looking pretty organized though. You know, like you've got the, got the whiteboard up with, which gives some indication of the sheer number of projects that you appear to be involved with alongside your kind of, you know, day job that you've got as well. Um, is this, Obviously, you know, describing things visually on a podcast is not scintillating podcasting. But, um, <laughs> but, but what I'm getting at is like you've got a lot going on. Um, we already had in the pub like the little kind of bit, you know, the busy conversation, didn't we? You know, yes. we, and we also talked about the fact that we don't particularly like using the word busy. Mm. Um, and you also made an interesting point, which was that you, you know you're quite obsessive about the meaning of words and language, and I am as well actually so but is this is this kind of how you keep track of it keep track of it all the nerve center if you like this is um so what you're looking at on the wall is a plan that i did from april with the kind of headline things that i need to remember that i'm doing and the reason why is because otherwise i get like completely swept away in like the day-to-day -day and new projects and people asking me to do things and what I do at least once a day, usually more than once a day, is I look up at this and I go, what should I actually be doing this month? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, are you, are you, have you got like three to-do lists on the go at any one time? Are you, I have, you, I have you, an app. Do you, do you need that kind of like to orientate yourself? Because it's, you know, it's going well, it seems, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inverting the commas just because of your uh, aforementioned being a stickler for you know I imagine you're like oh going well what do you mean by that you know what I mean mm. they're like it uh, from the outside it looks like you've got all the elements mm -hmm. you've you, you're part of the opening up the outdoors incubator program that I've had a loose involvement with um you know you were telling me that you're organizing a, a festival was it earlier as well like you've got the podcast thing that you try to do like there's a there's a lot going on basically i'm not surprised you need a whiteboard to <laughs> to keep track of it yeah i used to have about 12 trello boards and then oh god i hate trello i know well i love trello it was fine when i could fit everything in one trello board right but once i had 12 trello boards and then i had to have a trello board that was like this week you need to be working on <laughs> then i decided that i needed to put them all in one place so yeah so i use an app that has all of my to-do lists um but yeah you're right i do have um i have a lot going on and as i was saying to you earlier I've realized over the last couple of years that I actually don't like being busy or I don't like busy being the answer to the question of how are you? Um, I think it's not a real answer. <laughs> do you think it's self-perpetuating busyness? Because I sort of do. Yes. And I am 
any friends of mine listening to this will laugh because they'll be like, you're the fucking busiest person that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't like using the word busy either for the same reason, because it, because it feels self-perpetuating, because it feels mm-hmm. like a, it feels like a constant rather than a, or almost like an excuse. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like you kind of, oh, I'm just so busy, you know, like, does it, but it doesn't, do, is there substance to that? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's why I don't really like the word so much. Is, do, you, do, you, do you get where I'm coming from? Well, it's not an emotion, is it? So when people ask, how are you? Busy is not an emotion busy is a is a constant movement it's a churn it's not a it feels deflective as well doesn't yes. it when you say it to people it's yes. like i'm busy leave me alone and people react like that don't they mm. they go oh, okay better not go near you then yeah you know um and I, that that doesn't work in the type of work i do either so it's um someone that i'm doing a project with at the moment um i had been talking about feeling overwhelmed i think we all get overwhelmed and uh they said to me oh well we're doing this but don't worry about it and I was like no that's not what I mean like I don't want you to feel like I'm not there for this project and doing it and if by saying I'm busy and feeling like I have too much on that makes you feel like that um I need to dial it back because actually that's not what I mean at all what I mean is I'm aware I have too much on yeah and I need to action that myself and that is on me it's not on all of these projects, these amazing projects that I get to work on with people. Yeah. Well, and also it's kind of self-generated, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, because you've, you've, you're on a, you're on a path, it seems, you know, you're on a, with the projects that you're into. So how do you describe what, what you actually do? Like with, with, I guess all the elements is the central focus. Is it, is that, is that fair? Um, I think it is at the moment. I think it, and the answer to that question really is it depends who asks. <laughs> so I would describe myself as a writer and an artist and an activist. That's kind of what I would describe myself as. Um, but the work that I do is community building. And that's what we do through all the elements, which is a network for everyone creating change on diversity in the UK outdoors. And that doesn't really describe what we do. We do a lot of different things within that. Um, and then I have a day job. Uh, I organize all women sailing trips, looking at plastics and toxics in the ocean. I'm operations manager for that, but that's two days a week at the moment. Um, and I'm also training to be a coach. So really it depends on who is coming to me and asking that question. <laughs> and you start a podcast? Yes. Because in lieu of payment for this, um, which we should talk about, because obviously that's a bit of a conversation we've been involved in. I'm going to, you know, we're going to do a barter, your time for my spare digital Zoom recorder. Which is amazing. I'm so excited by this. Let's do more bartering. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I like the barter trade. But before we get into that, though, so a couple of questions on all the elements. Um, You said you know that you you kind of described it and you said well that doesn't really describe what we do so before you get to that which i'm interested in like where where did the idea come from what inspired you to to kind of start on this mission with all the elements i mean that's a little bit of a leading question because part of that journey was listening to your podcast right um but where i actually started was that I had already been doing a lot of personal work. I I have a lot of privilege myself. I've always been in the outdoor sector. Um, I worked as, I worked at an equine hospital. I then worked um, as an equestrian journalist. 
Um, I retrained in sustainability for businesses. That sounds as niche as snowboard journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might even be more niche, <laughs> arguably. <laughs> yeah, it's probably more money in it, I would have thought. Yeah, well, it depends on what type of reporting you do. Right. Um, because I did the type of journalism that's like everything except racing, which there's quite a lot of money in racing. Sure. There's not so much money in the other types of horses. Or, well, you either have a lot of money or no money. Is it... This is a total tangent. And <laughs> um, is it true that a lot of the kind of advances in, like, veterinary, veterinary medicine come from the equine world because basically there's so much cash in, in horse racing? So that... Because, you know, we were talking about my dog earlier mm. who had that... Um, he's got that disease and he's had those operations and stuff. And he's had stem cell injections in his joints. And mm. when we had that conversation with the vet the guy was like well it's kind of come from horse racing mm. because they can spend that much cash on it basically mm. you know like you you know like the moon landing leads to velcro kind of thing do you know what i mean like has that trickle down effect is that is that true or have i sort of extrapolated quite heavily there i mean i would be lying if i said i knew for sure but um yes that would be in line with my experience of it kind of makes sense doesn't it yeah and i when i worked at the equine hospital you had like two threads of people really i mean you did have some people that fell in the middle but you had the people who were professionals in whatever their sport was and therefore they were paying that extra money um three three streams maybe and then the people who just have a have a lot of money yeah and then you had the people who just love their horses so much yeah like in there i can understand that i can understand that okay so equine journalism that and then you know yeah, then I retrained. Um, so I love my job as an equestrian journalist. Um, I got to see, like, similar to your work, really. I got to interview amazing people, Olympians, Paralympians. I got to go to amazing yards. I got to spend time with, like, wonderful horses, wonderful people. Um, I got bored because after working, writing about horses for four years, and anyone who's listening who knows anything about horses will understand... I was like, if I have to write another article about like mud fever. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the, if I have to write another interview with a snowboard where they talk about riding powder with their friends. <laughs> I'm going to throw this laptop through the window. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I don't think I can. I was, I was missing purpose. And I knew that, well, I didn't know at the time. But when I did some reflection, I realized that sustainability and our planet and environment was really like where my purpose was. So I, um, yeah, I went back to uni. I did the One Planet MBA at Exeter. I loved it. The best decision I could have possibly ever done and kind of pivoted my career to sustainability. And how did you turn that into tangible action then? Because obviously Mm. it's quite a long way from you can do that but then to 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 do what you've done Mm. with all the elements and the different projects and the different and you know the position of change that you've that you've got yourself to is is, that's actually you you know i mean like that takes a bit of now a bit of effort a bit of application a bit of planning you know a bit of (laughs) so so what, what was what were the steps there then like what was the planning (laughs) well i mean planning again probably the back on that linguistic theme probably the wrong word but you know what i mean like it takes it takes let's put this it takes forward movement yeah like you can have an idea but then yes but unless you actually take steps to it's not going to come to anything and you and you've done that so what, what 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 was that part of it so i think i 
made a decision so in the process of getting to I'm I streamlined that story of my career a bit and uh when I was doing my MBA I was also uh had quite a stressful job as a marketing uh manager for a uh security company which I left and became a receptionist at a climbing center because I was like I just want something I turn up and I leave and so I think um, that didn't end up being like that either. I ended up doing, I was also instructing, but I ended up um, kind of being head of their reception team. And then I ended up doing maternity cover for the general manager across the three sites. And so it became a much bigger thing than I thought it was going to. But I think every single one of these things taught me something, which then I took on to the next thing. And I have, I don't think that, I don't never think that I will be doing something forever. It's just not in my nature it doesn't it just doesn't sit with me I'm very easily bored um I don't abandon things like because I I just can't do that but I always find a way to then move on to the next thing once everything's kind of settled and sorted and so I then I did some consultancy for some startups um around sustainability I laugh because I was like wow startups really don't have any money (laughs) so this is not going to be like the thing that kind of keeps me afloat like pays for my pays for my house and my bills um and then I went on a (laughs) I went on a canoeing trip down the Mississippi River with um an adventurer called Dave Cornthwaite and uh Emily Penn who is my boss in my what I call my day job oh yeah Emily yeah I know well I've met her I don't know but she's spoke at an event my company ran a few years ago yes yeah she's very well known um good speaker yeah she's an excellent speaker she is um she is a force and um yeah so she's my she's my boss I met her um doing that trip which was an amazing trip and uh afterwards I started volunteering for x expedition which was completely volunteer-led and we did a round Britain voyage um and then I started working for them the following year and became the first employee um the year after that and then became operations manager and then we did loads of other things which is like a whole other story um but we when covid hit um we were doing a round the world sale and we were doing 31 back-to-back voyages and as operations manager, as I'm sure you can imagine, I was very, very busy all the time. Yeah. Um, and my job encompassed lots of things. It was like applying for scientific permits. It was um, helping the team, the boat team, um, to make sure that they had everything that they needed. It was dealing with the crew. It was like so many different things. And um, after the craziness of repatriating everybody, uh, everything stopped. And I realized I was actually quite burnt out. And I think we've, we discussed this a little bit earlier. That was my choice. Like I was working really, really hard and I put really high expectations on myself. And, um, and I realized I wasn't doing the creative things that I wanted to do. And so I started blogging again, which was like a really big thing for me. Um, trying to find my voice again because I'd written for other people for so long. I'd been freelance writing through this whole process. I know we haven't talked about it. And I then Black Lives Matter happened and I realized I had quite a lot to add to that conversation. 
and I'd never really thought about it before. And I'd been talking about role modeling and actually authentic leadership for women was my dissertation subject for my MBA. So I'd already been talking about it from a like female women perspective. And uh, yeah, I felt like I had to step up. I was terrified, but I felt like I had to step up. And then I started looking for other people who were working within the outdoor space on diversity in the outdoors. I Googled diversity in the outdoors. Oh, really? Yes. And um, UK outdoors, because there was a lot of information coming from the US. And that's how I came across your podcast with Phil. Right. Interesting. So you just felt that you had to contribute somehow. Like you felt, because you said like you felt that you realized that you had something to offer and... So that feels like it was almost like a bit of a, like a feeling, like, you know, like an impetus, like, you know, I need to, I need to just contribute to this conversation that you, that you, you had to act on. Was it kind of that emotional? I mean, I think I skimmed over it a little bit. I'd had experiences in the run up to that where I'd been the only um, person of color in a lot of spaces that I operated in. Sure. And I'd had people approach me in those spaces and ask me questions like, why are there not more people like like you here I'm using inverted commas yeah um and I've done a lot of personal work myself because I am a very hyper aware of my privilege um and my background and I didn't feel like I was the right person to be speaking on those subjects but people kept asking me because there was no one else there to ask so I educated myself and so I had better answers to the questions but I wasn't putting it out there publicly yeah it was on a one-to-one basis if somebody had a conversation with me um and I realized that I was doing everyone a disservice because just because I said no I'm not going to talk publicly about that didn't mean that somebody else was stepping into that space and so I needed to find a way that I would be able to support other people's voices and that is kind of where all the elements comes in so you felt unqualified almost Mm. in a way Mm mm-hmm like almost like you didn't have the right to talk about it and you link that to your privilege you said Mm. I think a lot of people I think um I think people would be surprised how many people who are working within this space feel like that yeah because we have personal lived experiences but we're not necessarily DNI professionals sure and so speaking for such a diverse group of people is actually a very difficult thing to do yeah but then you kind of thought, actually, I need to just speak mm. when it comes down to it. Well, my my experience and at the time or before that, I hadn't really thought of it that way. But my experience is as valid as anyone else's experience. There are other people who have had the same lived experiences as me just because I grew up in Hampshire and have had um, like a very settled upbringing. Um, I went to good schools, I went to state schools, I went to good schools, um, doesn't mean that my I didn't experience microaggressions, that I haven't been discriminated against because of what I look like, because of my background. And that's a journey that I think a lot of people have to go on. Yeah. But also, I just felt like I knew that there were people doing amazing stuff and I could see it, but people were saying to me, there's no one diverse outside and I was like are you crazy I see them all the time and so there needed to be something that linked that and then also I just felt like this work is hard I think people really underestimate how hard it is 
and I wanted to be able to talk about it with other people. Well, that's why I admire Phil so much. And that's mm. why I admire that podcast that we did, which is still one of the most impactful episodes I've ever done. But, you know, he really he he really put himself out there emotionally and I think he really, really changed a lot of people's views that listened to that about the whole conversation, really. Well, it sounds like yours as well, you know? Like, mm. it sounds like you were inspired to, to, to sort of have the voice you know feel, have the confidence to, to speak on it almost yeah I think um I think the interesting thing about that conversation that you had with Phil was that I was like finally someone is actually talking about this publicly like it feels like something that everyone is like skirting around the issue people really aren't discussing it within the outdoor sector why aren't they discussing it in the outdoor sector also Phil is um in some ways I mean I know Phil really well um is similar in that both of us have had a lifetime of working within the sector of being in these spaces and really seeing that there isn't that diversity that there should be like why not there's no reason why the color of your skin should mean that you can't do any of these activities and we need to be really actively looking at those barriers and then i mean i go broader like all the elements is all diversity areas and so, and that's because um, I'm really passionate as a, as a woman and a person of color about intersectionality. Like, I think that's something that we don't talk about enough and we don't do enough work around it and we don't support each other enough. So yeah, there's a whole load of work around that. Just before we get into that and a bit more specific about on the elements, like mm. that, that, you know, when you were saying then, well, people don't talk about this enough. And I think that people feel like they do talk about it, which is... Mm. But that's exactly why I started that conversation on pay, you know, because which was obviously something we've been talking about over the last sort of week or so, which is essentially my my kind of take on it is like, unless you pay people, well, it's not, I mean, God, it's, it's, it's just the most obvious thing in the world. Like, unless you pay people fairly, you can't really have a serious conversation about diversity. That That's, that's kind of what I think, really. Like, and also it does basically mean that you get a lot of similar voices like who can you know if if people can only get into get into an industry or or you know like a a pathway of working by basically being able to afford not getting paid Mm. then that just leads to homogenization of the voices in the culture that are that are being spoken about and someone on that thread made a really interesting point which was a really obvious point and put really well and said like the diversity conversation that's going on in the outdoors now, it's not enough to tell stories about people. Mm. Mm-hmm. It needs to be, people need to have the ability to tell the stories that they want, you know, like, and that's the point, like brands, brands pointing their lens, at, you know, people of color or, or like gr- community groups, whatever is great, but it's still, there's still a kind of barrier, there's still a gap there, you know, like, and, and, and it's still eff- effectively a lot of the same people telling those stories, you know, like, and, and until you would, and that was kind of my whole point in and it came about this because I was asked to speak at an event for free a very high profile event that's really going on about their commitment to diversity and I was like cool how much are you paying people and like, oh we're not paying people it's a great networking opportunity and I was just a bit like what crock of shit like <laughs> like how how can that how can you seriously say you've got a, a, an event which is committed to diversity if you're not going to pay people like because you're going to get these things that were you're going to get a load of people from one demographic talking about the issue of diversity and you're going to exclude 
that you need to be opening those doors to bring as many people in as possible, not charging a really high ticket price and then saying that you people that you speak. So that's kind of where it came from, you know, and I found it, it, I found your point really fascinating and I found the whole tenor of the conversation really fascinating because like I say, it's one of those things that I think people feel like it's spoken about that as an element of the diversity conversation, but it really isn't that much, you know. People don't understand it and also people don't there's a lot and i think someone else in that thread kind of pointed it out there's a lot of oh well i went through that and therefore that's just what you have to do to to be in the industry yeah which if i may say is just on any fundamental level a flawed line logic you know mm-hmm. that someone making it across the channel in the dinghy doesn't prove that our immigration policy is sound yes like i mean that, that's just very obvious I think people would probably be quite horrified or maybe not horrified. I don't know. But the conversation's changed a lot in the last 18 months, I would say. But the number of people who I have done calls with who are on the clock, so they're being paid. And I, until very recently, wasn't taking anything from all the elements. Right. And the only way I can take that, because I'm very happy to be very open and honest about this, is by taking on paid work, like paid consultancy work. The core costs of all the elements still still are not covered. Um, But it's interesting that people quite often don't think about that. So they'll ask for a call, and that's my time, right? And it's the time before it a little bit, and the time processing it afterwards. And they'll be being paid by their organization and it's a it's a discussion about potential work or a potential talk or anything like that and I'm not getting paid for that time and before I um drop my hours down I was working four days a week um basically to subsidize all the time around that that I was doing these calls I've done over 200 calls now and some of that, I'm very lucky this year, Patagonia have given us 1% for the planet funding. So I have some funding to cover some of those, some of that time. Um, but why is that okay? Yeah. Like it's it's not just even the talks, which I get asked to do talks all the time that aren't paid. And I'm in a position, I'm in a very fortunate position because I have other work where so I can, can finance say, it. You can say yes, exactly. Or I can turn around and say no. Because actually, all the elements is um, is not a side project anymore. But it was a side project. I'm not. I am a writer. Um, people are always telling me, so I'm just going to say this, but I, just to know, just to let you know, I feel like I want to like vomit a little bit saying it. I'm an award winning writer. I am good at writing. I'm a sustainability professional. I have an MBA. I can talk. Uh, that is my job. Yeah. Right. So if you're coming to me and you're saying like this, this project that you're doing, which is actually to support the community groups, it's not to make the sector feel better about themselves. Come and talk to us and do that for free. No, I don't have to do that. No. But again, like you say, like, and I turn that thing down because Mm. I can. Yeah. You know, like, but as you say, there's a lot of people on that thread. And the other thing thing that I found really revealing on that thread is that every single person on there was someone on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. There was nobody on that thread. And, you know, I get to see who's looked at it and I get to see the numbers. And a lot of people looked at that. And I know a lot of people in the industry looked at it. And no one from brands, no one from events, no one from running teams of athletes, ambassadors, no one running influence campaigns, not not, not them taking part. The only people defending it, like the practice, like you say, people 
who were like, well, it worked for me. And it's make, basically making the capitalist argument, like, well, it's survival of the fist, isn't it? And it's always going to be like that and blah, blah, blah. Brings me back to what you were saying earlier. Like, it doesn't have to be like that. It's not inevitable that it's it's people in a room making a decision to do that. Mm. And like you say, we're kind of lucky that we've got the confidence and the kind of safety net to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. That's not cool. But other people aren't, as that conversation revealed. And it and it perpetuates the situation that supposedly we're all trying to solve. And I think also, and one of the big things that I was saying when I replied to that is like the lack of transparency. Yeah, which is another really good point, actually. Yeah, it's like new people coming into the sector. And there are a lot of new people coming into the sector. And there are a lot of new people coming into the sector from underrepresented groups who are like, what? Why does this work like this? Like, yeah. it seems bizarre. But if they're told, you're not going to get paid. Sorry, no one's getting paid. Or they don't say that. They just say, I'm really sorry, we don't have the budget. We don't have the budget. Right. Yeah, you know. And that's... That but we're is... charging 500 quid a ticket and it's 50 grand for a title sponsorship. Exactly. But we exactly. don't have the money, lads. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll have somebody who's like high profile and they'll be and they'll pay them a couple of thousand. And then they'll pay the person who is the coming from a community group who's having to take time off work, who's having to get their family looked after, who's having to like travel from wherever to get there and they'll say oh really sorry like we can give you a contribution towards your travel costs on that like i got asked to do that and the, and the, and, the, and the sort of incentive for me was like it'll be a great networking opportunity what if you don't want to go to some fucking bro mm -hmm. down like mm -hmm. in you know wherever and hang out in a bar and get drunk with everybody what if you just want to go and do your piece and go home to your kid yeah you know, like why? Why is that? Why is that not like what? What, what if you've got something else you'd rather be doing? Like why? Why does it have to come hand in hand? You know. And why is it implied that that is um, like? I think it's a bit much to imply that that's valuable to you. I mean, people have said that to me, and I'm like, mm, I did that work. I have my network now. Like, I don't need to. Like, I, I, I really don't need that. What I need is to be paid for my time so that actually I can subsidize this other work that I'm doing, which is the community work. Exactly. You know, like, so you can choose what you get rewarded mm. for your time and then you get to choose what. And that's why I kind of framed it in a couple of my more confrontational responses as like, it's a power thing, this. You know, like, it is a power thing. You know, I don't know if you know Yvette Curtis, who's who's like friend of the pod. I think she, you're both on the Alto scheme, yes. right? Yeah. And, you know, when I chatted to Yvette about it, she was like, I basically don't feel worthy. Mm. You know, like it, I don't have the confidence to ask for it. And I'm like, you, I mean, that's, that's wild. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of people phoning it in in this game. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. who are charging pretty decent money. Mm -hmm. And again, that's because you've been, you know, for me, that in itself is like a microaggression isn't it because it's it's somebody being made to feel unworthy by by the kind of status quo and then and then like being pushed down this alternative path you yeah. know it also doesn't take into consideration the fact that a lot of us working within this space are being asked to talk on subjects that are like there's a lot of emotional labor of course like there's a lot of emotional labor, like more than people realize, more than even I realized when I started doing this work. And there's always the risk of pushback. Like there's quite often, like you talk about micro microaggressions, there's also just sometimes just straight out aggression. There is a lot of confrontation. There's a lot of people saying, oh, well, why does it matter what the color of your skin is? 
and which the reply is exactly (laughs) like that's the whole point right but do you really think that like there's no one worthy who has a different colored skin to you and that is why there's no one in this in this space is that really what you're saying like think about that really think about that and think about that in all diversity areas like can you seriously say that because that is a um i mean that is arrogant isn't it it's also again fundamentally not very logical <laughs> to, no, be, but, to be to be polite you know no, but that's the thing is it's not logical but that's how it's justified yeah well the reason why they're not here is because they're not good enough because they're not experienced enough because they haven't done xyz and that's kind of what i was saying in the in the thread as well it's like yes okay fine but look at why they're not there yeah right so you're saying like you're putting out measurements that and bars that are impossible to reach when you're from certain backgrounds and from certain communities because of the systemic bias that is like throughout the entire system and until you can recognize that you actually don't know what you're talking about like maybe just stay out of the conversation well and and that's exactly why i was kind of aggravated by it really because and and then not just you know to bring it back to the point that we made when we went down this little rabbit hole like again like let's actually interrogate the reality of this you know like let's not just oh well loads of brands are now doing like you know loads of events have got diversity on the on the table and loads of brands are doing shoots with people of color so therefore oh the problem solved you know like no meaning change comes from these decisions comes from where it's actually a bit more difficult where you've actually got to say okay, I'm going to might lose a bit of money here, you know, like if I actually pay people fairly and that's fine, you know, like, because, because that's actually, because what's happening is people are going, well, I can't afford that, you know, or however they're justifying it. But then that, that's the reality of, of the diversity conversation in the industry, not the fact that like brand X has done a shoot with, you know, and there, and I would like to point out though that there are organisations and brands that are doing it better. Yeah, for sure, and, for sure. And they are willing when you put forward a budget that says I want to pay everyone who comes to this this, and I want to make sure that we're um, doing this right. And also organisations that do genuinely come with a proper budget and say this is how much. Or the the one that I don't like so much is like, well, how much do you charge? Which is I'm like, well. <laughs> I charge different things for different people because every event has a slightly different budget and it depends on actually what you're asking me to do. And so actually you've just put it back on me. You should know what you're going to pay. Pay me the top level of what you would pay for me. Well, people always do know. Exactly. And so it's um, it goes back to this transparency thing again. Like, and I think everyone should be pay, paid the the same for the same work. Like there are going to be people who should be being paid more because they're bringing more expertise because they're doing something slightly different. But the majority of things, it's the it is essentially the same work. Yeah, like, yeah. Why are people being paid differently? So with all the elements now, so it's a couple of years after you, you know, you effectively stuck your neck out, began it. However, you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you characterize the work that you do now? Because when you were talking about it earlier, you said, well, that's not actually describes what we do, you know. So you said it's about facilitating communities, like, um, and it might also be interesting at this point to talk about the Open Up the Outdoors kind of incubator because that was, you know, that was obviously something to try and give people that were in organizations like yours a, a platform to take things, to have more influence and take things to the next level, right? So what stage are you at with it now with um, all the elements? 
So all the elements work is quite broad. Um, so we have the network and that is the core of it. But when I say there's a network, we have a directory online where you can go and find groups working across all the different diversity areas across the UK. You can see resources. Your podcast is in there with Phil, is in the resources section, um, which kind of allows you to dig a bit deeper into it if you don't really know what the challenges are or why the organizations are set up. Um, we also do online socials. I do one-on-one -on -one calls with people um, and help them uh, just tell them who else is working on similar things and who might be good to connect with and where they might find funding or opportunities that are relevant and keep them in mind so that I can send them stuff later as stuff comes up. Um, we do some consultancy. We did a, a project with National Parks UK looking at how basically all the work that's happening across the sector that I was aware of over the last two years and then looking at how national parks are connecting with community groups. Um, which was a really interesting project. And uh, we did work with the Pilgrim Trust, looking at how they could better support grassroots groups, um, especially around uh, hiking. Um, so that was amazing. And then we partnered with Slowways and got funding out to the community groups. So, and we amplify, amplify voices wherever we can, um, promote events, uh, campaigns, yeah like there's so many things that we do we're doing the outdoor connection festival with the yha and natural england in september which i'm really excited about which is going to be running um kind of capacity building events for leaders of groups or people who are looking to start groups within the space capacity building can you i'm not sure i know what that means yeah so we're looking at all the things that might be sticking points so how do you get funding um how do you decide uh what way you want to incorporate like do you want to be a community interest company how do you create intersectional safe spaces um yeah lots of different things like that when i say how do you measure, measure the success of it did you have an <laughs> outcome in mind like when you when you started sort of seriously on this path did you did you have a kind of idea of what change su successful i'm going to invert the commas again um, it's because you can see the look on my face can't you <laughs> well you, you know what i mean though but again it's like it i imagine that has changed but i'm interested if you had something in mind when you began when i began it was just going to be a newsletter <laughs> and um Phil gave me a bit of a talking to. So I reached out to Phil. Um, I reached out to a few people working within the space that I found when I was doing my research. Right. Um, and um, I love telling this story and I'm sure Phil hates it. But basically I... Phil being opinionated. Yeah, yeah. He does have <laughs> Funny opinions. Funny that. <laughs> um, but basically um, I emailed him and telling him about... Like I was looking for a network. I didn't want to make one. Right. I was very busy. I didn't want to make one. Um, I had a job, I had a career, everything was going like, well, I just wanted to join a network. I wanted to be part of something. And so my original email to him was, I feel like if there's a network, you'll know about it. And now I know Phil, I'm like, he would have definitely known about it if it existed. Um, and he emailed me back like one line, which you know, Phil, so you'll also appreciate this, which was like, oh, um, I'm out, but I'll call you later. Nothing like radio silence because he's very busy he's got lots of things on and so um I went away I built a website I was really sassy and then a few weeks later I just emailed him the link to the website being like you know that thing 
I made it. <laughs> so you were fired up. I was fired up. Something needed to happen and nothing was happening. Um, and everyone I spoke to was uh, keen for it. And I wanted to connect with those people. They were amazing people doing amazing things. Selfish, really. Like I wanted like that network. And um, So you made your own. I made my own. And Phil called me and he was like, so what's the plan? And I was like, oh, I'm going to make a newsletter. And he was like, mm. <laughs> I feel like it needs a bit more than a newsletter. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. And that's, a, that's kind of how it developed. So originally it was just going to be if I could get people to be sending in their news, then I would send it out. And that was going to be the win. Was right. like, if I had enough to fill a newsletter every month, then I would have been happy. now and so you talked about alto so we've been doing as part of that the pro incubator program is great and it takes you through all of the things that really you should think about when you're setting up a business and are things that i'm aware of obviously um but i hadn't necessarily done with all the elements because it had kind of very much organically developed so it was nice to go back and look at like you know what's our purpose what's our mission what's our values blah blah um one of the things is like what are your goals next year five years ten years right and so ten years was that the network is completely different like it's not about um us like fighting against the tide like it's about us celebrating which it is already actually like it's a happy network like i can't explain how joyous the network is how much people enjoy connecting with each other um i'm so grateful for that uh the positive energy is like off the charts um but yeah i don't think i'm answering your question and it's kind of because i feel like it needs to be whatever the community needs right okay i mean i'm really glad to hear that because i like just to quickly explain what alto is open up the outdoors so this is a group that was it's almost like a consult consultative group that was begun around the same time that you're talking about and it involved basically um, a lot of brands in the outdoor industry in the UK got together. Well, in Europe actually got together. So I think there's maybe about 10 brands involved. And the idea was how can we do something actually positive to help these groups, like these grassroots groups like yours. Um, and I had a very minor role in that, like as part of the kind of con kind of the board that was put together to sort of help do that. So we kind of worked on that for like a couple of years. Um and this is really because we because we've kind of let it go a bit now, you know. Like, I'm, Kami and Phil are like still like massively involved in it, um, and I'm involved in it on like a sort of comms level a little bit. But but once so we we brought this third party in called Hatch Enterprises, who yeah they're the people that basically put the program together. Really, mm. you know, when we when we were like, this is what we want to do. You're the experts. How do we do it? And they so they're the people that you're dealing with day to day, aren't they? But it's really brilliant to hear that because. Um, we actually got a message off actually like an update off actually the day saying like yeah this is this is what's going on and this is the way it's working but to hear like how much you've been getting out of it and to also hear the camaraderie between all the first intake is is brilliant mm. actually it was um it was for me um it was amazing because actually um i'm not sure i should admit this because it's like it's one of those things but we the first session I was like, I'm aware of everyone in this space. Right. And then I was like, the network is working. Well, that's great, <laughs> isn't it? I was like, oh, thank you. Because I think that's the thing is like, it doesn't work as a network if you aren't aware of like everyone who's working within the space. Like it needs to be everybody who's like taking part. And it was amazing to, it was amazing to be able to spend like a decent amount of time with these 
like wonderful human beings. <laughs> so it feels like personally you're a bit of a crux. You know, you mentioned that you you role has been you dropped it down to two days and mm-hmm. you mentioned personally, you know, you you know, you write, you you're creative, you wanna do you kinda feels like you're kinda close to actually being able to step away from the day job and, and maybe um making this like what you actually do full time. Does does it feel like that? Is is that what you wanna do? I think um I think I'm always gonna be the sort of person that wants to be doing several things. I also don't want all the pressure for like paying for all of my bills to fall on all the elements because I think like once you start thinking about how can this like be a sustaining money making I mean it's a non-profit yeah but still like if I was looking for it to be paying me like a full-time salary there would be a lot more pressure on it um also I don't want to take away from the fact that I'm highly invested in the community that is my day job like we have this amazing community of women like creating change all over the world as well yeah so I can't see myself like leaving that entirely but what I would like to do is be spending less time doing that maybe like coming in and out when I'm needed for projects yeah um I would like to spend probably half my time doing creative things half my time on all the elements work and I'd like to have a small team because all the elements has never been about me like that was the whole point from the very beginning it's about the community sure and it needs representatives from within the community to be working like it can't just be me making decisions all the time and like doing all then it doesn't work um so that's the dream is to have uh two three people part-time also doing all the elements work helping us scale do more things do more good in the world help more people um and then i'll be doing that and getting to talk to amazing people all day and help people and then i'm going to be doing my coaching my freelance writing um my creative work hopefully this podcast where i'll be interviewing activists similar similar but different um to this conversation and so yeah that's the plan have you cracked the busyness conundrum that we discussed (laughs) no of course i haven't i feel like um it's been very difficult for me this year uh i mean we talked about it a little bit earlier um i lost my dog who was a very very important part of my life um And that disrupted everything, which put me behind, which meant that I am still crazy busy because I'd started balancing things out and then that didn't work. Yeah. Um, I also was talking to somebody the other day and I realized that this is the busy bit where I'm juggling all of these things to try and make all the elements sustainable to make sure it can still support the community groups while still reminding people that, hey... (laughs) by the way i'm a writer do you remember that do you remember when i used to write things yeah um so i still need to be doing that because otherwise for you know um so there's just a lot of work in this middle stage and hopefully i know i'm still going to be busy but hopefully i'll stop using it as an answer to questions i might be like busy but (laughs) next week i'm going to (laughs) take some time to i don't know draw some things (laughs) well it's balance isn't it you know because I I, I I completely empathize with what you well identify with what you just said then about um you know not making it the sole breadwinning focus because it, it does feel like 
I mean, it's one of the reasons why I've kept looking sideways quite quite hobbyish, really, mm. in a, in a way. Like, I mean, I'm lucky now that I do get paid every now and again for it, but. And I've certainly thought about making it like the trying to make it like the full time thing, but and and you do end up sort of chasing, chasing the cash, don't you, to a certain degree? And also, there's an element of of what you just talked about in terms of like all the, you know, I'm the same. Like I'm a journalist for a long time. Like I neglected that, and and now I'm doing a lot more journalism. I'm doing a lot more writing. I do the podcast. I've got my business that I run. I quite, I haven't cracked the busyness conundrum. Mm looking forward to going on a holiday and giving that a go um <laughs> but I, I quite like the the contrast between each of those things you mm. know i get different things out of each each of them yeah um and i think it'd be quite i'm not sure like just giving two of the things up to do the one thing would necessarily be the road to you know satisfaction really you'd probably just end up filling it with something else that seems to be what happens to me well yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it certainly looks that way. Looking at back to the whiteboard, <laughs> I put some. I put some nice quotes up too, like when people say things, so that I'm reminded of like not just my to do list. <laughs> also, this one in the middle is actually quite relevant if we're talking about activism. Is this your water? Is I was going to ask you about that um, because that's a, it's the biggest quote on the wall, mm-hmm. and it's the most intriguing quote on the wall. So tell me about that. So in my um, in one of my coaching training sessions, uh, the woman who was running it was telling a story about her journey to becoming a coach. And she said in it, um, I was doing this thing and I thought, this is not my water. I need to find my water. And was talking basically about being a fish in the wrong water. And that is like a metaphor for, um, is this your thing? Because there are a lot of opportunities right now out there and especially for all the elements, there's so many different directions we could go in and and there's so many like projects out there and I say no to a lot of projects and what, but I wasn't. This is the question. Is this my, is this my water? Should I be doing this? I don't need to do everything. So I need to make sure that I'm in the right water. You don't want to be a a saltwater fish swimming around in a lake. <laughs> so there you go. That was me and Soraya, and I hope you enjoyed it. I was really chuffed to hear about the way Soraya had been partially inspired to take action after listening to my episodes with Phil Young a couple of years ago. Stories like that keep me going, and they confirm that it's always worth lobbing that first stone into the pond. You really never know where those outward ripples will lead. Anyway, find out more about Soraya and her work over at allthelements.com. You can also follow her on Instagram, either at allthelements or Soraya Earth. That's S-O-R-A-Y-A-E-A-R-T-H. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Type 2 generally. I release new episodes of Type 2 every six weeks or so through my usual Looking Sideways channel. You can subscribe via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or my Substack page, um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Over at my Substack page and my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com, you can also find the entire back catalogue and the entire archive of my main Looking Sideways podcast too. Over 200 interviews with some of the biggest names in action sports and other related endeavours. Quite a few people are contacting me these days and saying that they're listening to the whole lot in chronology, which I've got to be honest, 
I find slightly terrifying because that is literally thousands of hours of me chatting. If that's you and you end up listening to this bit, I salute you. Um, another thing to say about my Substack page, there's a comment section um, and there's a really nice respectful community going on over there. It's kind of where I mainly um, participate in online discourse these days. So you can sign up at lookinsideways.substack.com if that is your jam. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Nice one.